So Jonathan asked me to preach on uh, Matthew 16. Um, that may not mean very much to you, but it's a really strategic and significant passage. And the reason is that if you talk about the gospel, most people talk about John 3.16, or if they're going to find something that talks about the things that you gain when you find Jesus. Actually, that is not a very accurate perspective on what it means to be converted. It's not about what you gain, it's about what you lose. Because when my Jesus preached the gospel, he did it six or seven times in exactly the same words. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow after me if you want to be my disciple. And that may not sound very attractive, but we've got to understand that um, Christianity is not something that you sell on an ad. It's not something that you add to your old life. It's something that you discover. It's life as it's really meant to be. It's all the excitement of real living. It's the reality that comes when the living God who made heaven and earth comes and breaks into your heart and life and becomes real to you and transforms you. It is the amazing, incredible reason that we're here in this world. Not just the world that God made, but with the God who comes to us and lives with us, in us and through us, and is our Lord and God as well. It is an incredible truth that Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. You and God living in relationship together. But to discover that, you have to lose your life in order to find it. And that's why Jesus used these very difficult concepts and technical terms, and that's why Jonathan lumbered me with having to preach on it. <laughs> Let me try to explain. Real Christianity is not about you desperately hanging on for heaven. Real Christianity is you and me changing a little bit of our world for Jesus. That what he's done is left us here, that Daniel Island may never be the same, and that we may serve him and see this world transformed. In other words, we are called to be the Parabolani of our day. Hands up, those of you who've ever heard of the Parabolani. I thought I was going to be short on response to this. <laughs> Let me explain. If you've ever done any church history and you've read any books on church history before 1920, then you'll have read about the Parabolani. Around 1920, they cut it out of the books because it's way too dangerous. And so nobody knows who the Parabolani were. We just don't get it. So do you mind me doing a bit of church history with you? Is that okay? Let, let's go for it. So what happened, uh, the Parabolani is all about the second and third century church in Carthage in North Africa. And what happened in Carthage was they had a bishop named Cyprian. And anyone who's done theological studies has done Cyprian in depth. Well, Cyprian, Bishop Cyprian, uh, had got great youth groups in Carthage. And he took his youth group during a famine 
which developed into plague and was a massive disaster in the Roman world. It got repeated about 300 years later with the same effect. On both occasions, the Bishop of Carthage established what we know today as the Parabolani. What Cyprian did was he took his young men and young women, the best he'd got in the church, and he sent them to feed the hungry, to minister to the plague victims, to pray for the sick, and to transform their world. That's exactly what happened. It was an incredible story because they got nicknamed by the people of Carthage. It was the unbelievers who called them the Parabolani, which means those who drew near and walked with them. When no one else would go anywhere near them or touch them with a 10-foot pole, the Parabolani were their friends. And what happened with the Parabolani was that they got fed up with watching people die. So they went beyond feeding the hungry and they started to pray for the sick. And then they started to put their mouths on the suppurating sores of the plague victims and suck out the poison in the name of Jesus. They died by the thousand. But Carthage was never the same again because the plague was arrested, stopped by the Parabolani. One of the most incredible stories of history. That's why we've cut it out of the books. Because it is way too dangerous to, de to decide that we should go and do something about a world in that kind of pain and need. And that's what the Parabolani did. The reality is that they chose, they chose to die to live. They recognized that if you died to yourself, you'd live to Jesus. That real Christianity is not adding bits to your old life, it's transferring your old life for your new life. And I got into dreadful trouble at my old church by standing up one day and saying, the gospel that's been preached to you is wrong. The gospel of Jesus has never been come to Christ and you'll get all sorts of bits added onto the old life. The gospel of Jesus has always been Surrender your old life to him, and he will give you a new life. You may say, well, put that in simple terms, easy. If anyone's ever told you to accept Jesus, don't believe it. Accepting Jesus is not in the Bible, and so I'm not suggesting that it should be an addition. The only time you read about acceptance in Scripture is, will Jesus accept you? It's never, will you accept him? You may say, oh, that's okay. But I can believe in Jesus, can't I? No. Don't you dare go and believe in Jesus. Because Scripture says that even the devil does that. And that doesn't make him a Christian, so it doesn't make you one either. The idea of believing in Jesus, i.e. coming to a mental acceptance of who God is, is something that even Satan does. That's not going to get you into the kingdom of heaven. You may say, well, I can decide for Jesus. No, that's not going to get you very far either. It'll give you a date that can be special for you. But deciding for Jesus doesn't make any difference. It's not accepting Jesus. It's not deciding for Jesus. 
It's not believing in Jesus. It's surrendering to Jesus. It's surrendering to him. When Jesus preached the gospel, it was so simple. Let a man deny himself, take up his cross, follow after me, if he wants to be my disciple. Why on earth did Jesus say that six times? Because it was so fundamental and important. Because that was the way of salvation. And so you have the Apostle Paul in Galatians 2 starting to talk about, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. Do you get the joy of this? Suddenly Christianity isn't this boring, repetitive pattern of things that we do. It's the life and the joy and the thrill of coming into a living relationship with a living God who transforms you, changes you, makes everything different. It's a glorious truth. It's a wonderful revelation. And so you start to die in order that you may truly live. And what you do, you don't do in your power and energy. He comes and does it in you and through you. So stop trying to do stuff for God and let God come and do stuff for you. That's the gospel. It always has been. But if you read the gospels, that's what you get. The second thing to get hold of on all of this is that if we've got to die to live, what's the life we're going to find? Well, it's what I would term the crucified life. It's a life where you are dead to yourself, where you're not living for what you can get, where you're living for what he can come and be in you, he can come and do through you. And so it's not you desperately trying to be a Christian for Jesus. It's Jesus coming and being Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that's the amazing truth of the gospel, but man, it's hard for us to get hold of because we think that can't be right. But that's what scripture says. And that's exactly what comes over in Matthew chapter 16. There is no negotiation to that. That's what the gospel is. And so if you're dying to live and you're discovering the crucified life, then what are you finding? Well, you're not finding a changed life. Jesus doesn't come to change your life. Have you ever worked away at the house and tried to make things look different? Tried to make things change? Well, that's not what God's after. He doesn't want a changed life. He wants an exchanged life. He wants you exchanging your life for his life. Not... Your life lived for him, it's his life lived in you. So it's not a matter of trying to be different and trying to be better. It's a matter of allowing him to come and live in you, live through you, live for you, love for you. That's what the crucified life is all about. You dying to you. So Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. And the great joy of that is that most people have got a faith in Jesus, a Christ who died. And we've got a faith where Jesus does all the dying and we do all the living. But the reality is that he wants us to die to ourselves so that he can live in us and through us and bring us into the most exciting life that could be lived on planet Earth. And that's the life of God being lived in the life of ordinary men, 
ordinary women who are transformed in their lives by the love and life of King Jesus. And I find that just so incredibly exciting and transforming. I don't know if you've ever watched the news recently and looked at what's happening in Iran. Well, I find what's happening in Iran exciting because Iran is the fastest growing church in the world. It's growing at 19% per annum. And it's been doing that for quite some time. It's an amazing story. The first time I ever preached at the big church in Tehran, I could not believe it. And the bishop was giving me a, a, a brief introduction to what was going on. And he said, well, we've got this old guy in the church. I said, yeah. He said, we've got this old guy. He turned up one Sunday morning. And some of the people at the door said, who are you and where are you from? And he named a town right up in the north. And they said, well, why are you here? He said, oh, I pray for village. And I look at sky. And I see cloud. And I see sun behind cloud. And I see a cross in the cloud. He said, so I came to church. Yeah, that's all right. But church was 500 miles away. It took him a couple of days to get there, but he'd got to the church. And they said, well, why did you come? He said, well, I pray God for my village. God sends cloud, crossing cloud. So now I come to thank Jesus for crossing cloud and for what Jesus says to my village. They said, how old are you? He said, 86. 500 miles on Iranian roads and Iranian buses, which is no fun. They said, how often are you going to come? He said, oh, I come every month. I, I worship Jesus, who brings life to my people. And it's the amazing truth of what God is doing in the world today. If you want to know why people are meeting Jesus in Iran, it's visions and dreams. The churches are now shut. That doesn't matter very much. Because... God still works through his people because it's the church that's the people, not the institution. It's the people who are the church. And the reality is that God is working. Ask Jonathan's stories of Pakistan. It's exactly the same story. That around the world where the church is being persecuted, as Tertullian, the early church historian, said, in the second century, the blood of the martyrs becomes the seed of the church. And the church explodes through people who've died to live, and the crucified life is being lived by them, and they're discovering that they can exchange their life for his. The German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer died in Flossenburg concentration camps a few days before the end of the Second World War. They hanged him on Hitler's own orders. Bonhoeffer once said that Jesus calls us not to come and live, but to come and die. To come and die to us and live to him. 
That's the reality that we're talking about this morning. That's what this is all about in this passage. When you read, what shall a man give in return for his soul? The one thing Jesus wants is you and I to surrender ourselves. He wants you and I to give up on trying to do it ourselves and just rest in him. When I was young, long time ago, I had a very easy story, and I'd love to ask Jonathan to help me with this and to do it for me, but I'm really scared because with these legs, I'll drop him. You see, what I would ask him to do is stand here and fall over backwards, and I would then catch him. So I'm not going to do it. My wife would <laughs> panic at the thought that I would try it, let alone what Melissa would do. But the reality is that Jesus asks us to fall over backwards and allow him to stand behind us and catch us. He wants us to surrender into his arms and to allow him to do everything that he wants. He wants us to die in order that we may live for him by dying to ourselves. He wants to ask us to embrace the crucified life and to surrender our lives to the one who wants to possess those lives and live in and through those lives. He wants us to be those who've exchanged our lives for his and he wants us to be those who fully surrendered and in that surrender discovered all that life should be. I'm coming into land. Let me come into land like this. There's, the British love telling stories. And there's a lovely old story, two of about a, an impresario who was in a British concert hall. And he'd got a, a, a young guy who was playing a concert pianist beautifully. He was only a student. And so he said to the student one day, I want you to come and play for me. I'm going to hire a concert hall in London. I'm going to fill it with people. And I want you to play Bach and I want you to play out of your skin. The young man couldn't turn down an opportunity like that, so he did. When he'd finished playing, the British forgot they were British. So you've got, you can imagine, you've got this packed concert hall full of British concert goers breaking all the rules. They are standing, not sitting. They are clapping, not silent. They are smiling. Not somber. They are stomping their feet. It was most unseemly. And the impresario ran backstage to the green room as the concert pianist left the stage. And he met the young man in the green room and said, magnificent, incredible, tremendous, marvelous. Play an encore. The young man said, I can't do that. The impresario said, you've got to. They're all standing for you. The young man said, no, they're not. Up in the balcony, three rows from the back, on the end seat, that old man sitting. Oh, he doesn't know his music, said the impresario. Oh, yes, he does, said the young man. That's my tutor. 
If he was standing and everyone else was sitting, I'd play an encore. He's sitting. No encore. 2,000 years ago, a man named Stephen died. As he died, his face shone because he saw the risen Lord Jesus sitting at the right hand of his father. And Stephen saw Jesus. Saw Jesus who's sitting at the right hand of his father. But scripture doesn't say Jesus was sitting. Scripture says Jesus was standing. And the reality is that we are not left, left here on this earth to struggle our way into heaven. We are not left here on this earth to run some institution in the name of Jesus. We are left here on this earth to touch this place with the love and the power of the living God. To be the parabolani of our day who show the life of Jesus lived in our community. We are left here to so live and love our Lord that one day when he comes to get us for himself, he will not be sitting. He will be standing. Standing to honor those who lived for him and perhaps also died for him. And Stephen saw Jesus standing. That's what we're here for. That's what it's all about. That's why we're supposed to surrender our lives. That's why we're supposed to live a crucified life. That's why we're supposed to change our life for his. That's why we're supposed to be dying to live. Because we're supposed to get Jesus standing. And the world recognizing who he really is. I have served him for over 50 years. I have only one ambition in my heart and life. One day when my Lord comes back, I want to have got Jesus standing. Standing because I love him, lived for him, died to me, and belonged to him. That's what this passage says. That's what my Jesus says the gospel is. All I want to ask is, are you living, loving, belonging to him in such a way that one day he will stand when he welcomes you home. Because, not because of who you are, but because of who he has been and is in you and in me. It's very simple, it's very easy. You rest your life in him. You do everything he's got for you to do. You give extravagantly beyond what you could afford. You share spontaneously in a way that would not come naturally to you. But you change your world with the love of Jesus.